AI voice stating that uh, <laughs> the call is being recorded. Do you accept? No. Do you accept the charges? <laughs> and we're going to get to that point where Zoom is essentially going to take over mass telecommunication. It's effectively going to become like 1995 just with video calling. <laughs> I mean, uh, I get why they put it. I get why they put it there. You don't want people like recording you without your knowledge. Like that's kind of creepy. But I mean, who uses Zoom not knowing that they're going to be recorded? Like I don't know. I mean, it's all being recorded anyway. But I mean, exactly. It depends on how how paranoid the rabbit hole you want to go. <laughs> yeah. By the by the way, on the paper tiger thing, have you seen the art of self defense? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I watched like that and and paper tiger within the space of the week. I'm like, yeah, this no pretty much catches the breath of martial arts. Man, the, when or, we or, watched, I held like a like a movie night. For my adult students, and we watched <laughs> the course, art of self defense. The adult, the adult students. Yeah, yeah, no, not the not the kids, but uh, they. Well, so let me just say this: a bunch of my students watched it, and they were like, "Have you seen this?" And I was like, "No." And they were like, "You will love this." I'm like, "Okay." So we watched it, and like they were watching my facial expressions the entire time we were watching it, and I loved it in 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 so many ways. I mean, I think the art of self-defense did many things really well, but the most important thing that I think it did really well was it it basically took all of the insane things that actually happen yeah. in martial arts schools and it's like, like in America very here in that like in that particular setting of mm-hmm. like the strip mall like mm-hmm. le- like club and like um people wanting to join and and the guy's got an office and he's got stuff on the wall that people don't really know too much about he's preying on people's ignorance um Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. what does he really do outside of teaching classes (laughs) right so i mean uh stuff we've all of the all of the weird cult-like activity that happens the the uh, the sexual abuse the um, mental psychological abuse. The I mean, it, it it really it sucks. Don't get me wrong. Like I I hate that that is reality, but nobody wants to talk about it. And I I I put up on Facebook. I think after I watched it, and I was like, this is amazing. And I got a lot of hate from different people. Oh, this it was horrible. It's not what I thought it was going to be. It, it painted martial arts in such a horrible light. And I'm like. This, so this, like, this, these are real things that we have to deal with as martial arts instructors. Like we can't just say, no, 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 that's not real. It, like, I think, it, I think it did a really good job in the age of Cobra Kai and like everyone being like, you know, lionizing these, uh, eighties, old eighties stars who didn't really ever participate in the things that, uh, their media has, uh, kind of represented to has represented to a mass amount of people for them to join said thing mm-hmm. um and actually seeing the repercussions of it to a mm-hmm. degree because like this is like what cobra kai is actually like this is like right. actually it like right. of course sony's not going to pay for like this type of a movie <laughs> but like yeah that that that's that that's what that place would be right um 
I, I think it's hilarious in a lot of in like kind of like it, it feels like if it's a little off the mark from where what their stamp would be, but it'd be like if a mm-hmm. if the Cohen brothers made Karate Kid. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I I guess this is our mini corner on talking about a. Um, <laughs> no, I, th- I thought it was great. I thought it was yeah. absolutely phenomenal. The the way that they you know that martial arts instructors or martial arts schools in general will prey on uh insecurities to try to get students um and then they you know that that insecurity never really goes away they just kind of put you know slowly as you progress your your insecure self gets in gets put in charge of other people and you end up just being this insecure person with power and you take over and you're just a bully. You know, some of the, some of the biggest bullies I've encountered in my life have been martial arts instructors. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's a reality. And on a, and mass media not being able to really show that in a realistic way is, is really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. this, this isn't exactly, the corner. <laughs> this is where we're exactly going to go, but we're kind of freewheeling it tonight. Um, there you go. Good morning, good afternoon. I guess we're five minutes in, so we should probably officially get started. But good morning, good afternoon, good evening, (laughs) folks. Welcome to Karate Without Belts. I'm John, and I am joined by a longtime collaborator, first time on the podcast officially, Mr. Dan Bernardo. Yes, finally. Finally. uh, I feel my heart is is twice the size right now, feeling good about life. And uh, uh, <laughs> you know, having I'm a honored. large heart's not a, not a actually a healthy not a, thing. Not a good thing. I'm about to die in about uh, three minutes. But it was great. It was a great three minutes of being on the podcast with uh, with know. you, John. No, thank you, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. No, it's we've we've kind of done a version of this on live streams. Some which have done really well. Some which have been uh, well. Let's say we had a really great conversation. We're just not sure everyone heard it. Not at but, not at first, anyway. Not, not at first. <laughs> so, sir, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. What? How has the training been uh, recently? Uh, training's been good. I've been I've been slowing down a little bit, trying to just focus on um, little things: conditioning, um, endurance. Uh, stuff like that not not so much technically based uh of a focus recently you know i think that uh as as much as we should practice technique and things i think uh our our health and our endurance and our ability to prevail health-wise is just as important so i try to make sure that i i make some time to focus on that yeah the the there's something of a common myth that if you just do the martial art, that that's going to kind of remedy all issues you have, which I mean, it just isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, in some in some ways it is, in some ways it isn't. Um, but there's there's running twelve kilometers is not the same as you know getting getting your kata in for the day. But you know, doing bag work is not going to be the same as you know getting your internal work in and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely get that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there has to be some balance. I mean, you, your technique should be good. It should be efficient. But if you're if you're overwhelmed, then you're 
your ability to run 12 kilometers is really going to help because <laughs> I mean, if you're overwhelmed and you can't, you can't, you know, withstand someone three times the size of you pinning you to up against the wall or down on the ground, your technique is not going to do anything. So definitely don't neglect your, your physical fitness. Yeah. Um, I, unfortunately that's, that goes on far too much in circles we run in, especially nutrition wise. And unfortunately people like to get into some harder stuff, which is really, really scary. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, this week has been kind of a not so I did a 12 K probably about a couple of days ago, but um, this That's week awesome. is just it. Yeah. I mean, it was fun and it was actually, it, it felt good. Like it, it's one of those things where it's like, it had goes in stages or it's mm-hmm. like, I feel like karate doesn't exactly do it does, but it doesn't like, like any workout you get ready, you do the thing, you kind of get drained from it. And then you had that weird endorphin high afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, that endorphin high is much, I've always felt it's much different in karate. Yeah. 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 And then you, you, you usually get more chances to relax and recoup when you're training in karate rather than if you're going on a long hike or you're going on a run or something like that. I'm, I'm not a runner. My endurance is horrible, but I, I know that when I have ran, like when I, when I did wrestling in high school, that, that was probably the most the best shape I had ever been in my life. Um, cause we ran just so much and I've never experienced anything like that in, in wrestling. The, in karate world yeah yeah wrestling you i mean we ran more than we wrestled like that was just that's interesting oh yeah i mean i wouldn't have expected that yeah man i mean my first my first day we ran like i don't know five miles or something like that it was insane and i thought i was going to die but but again it's it all goes back to that endurance thing somebody you know somebody's trying to smash you into the mat and for for minutes at a time and you have to endure that. And the best way to, to develop that is to run. We'd run outside and then we'd go into the gym and we'd run circles. I mean, my, my, my high school colors were blue and gold. I remember the floor was yellow and the, the walls were blue and they were my least favorite colors. <laughs> That's also Forever. like a weird, mine were red and white. So just thinking of something that's just blue around you and then just what like gold on the bo- on the floor it's just like that's, that's not gonna cover up stains there's <laughs> red there's white but. right yeah yeah true true my my instructors uh when he was when he lived in puerto rico his floor was concrete to his dojang and it was painted red and i remember him telling me like oh yeah one time it was painted green and i had to keep painting it to cover up the blood spots so we just ended up painting it red i was like oh that makes sense. <laughs> he yells at me. He doesn't. I, I have padded floors. He doesn't like my padded floors. Well, you know, easier to keep the blood stains out. But, you know, <laughs> that's blood. I know. I know. And you know, I've I've got kids that roll around and throw each other off the floor, and it's much better for stopping little kids from getting concussions off of concrete floors. But um. <laughs> you have con- you have concrete under under that though. Yes. 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 That feels like every American building is like that. It's just it's 
It's kind of ridiculous, yeah. It's either that, it, like you either have concrete with um with like a raised floor, like people people will raise a wooden floor and then put right. mats on it, or they'll just have a wood floor. Uh, like like classically in in Tungsido, wood floor is your desired uh, floor. Um, so they'll raise it up, you know, like a, a two inch spacer or something. You know, they'll raise it up and they'll put a wood a plywood floor or a uh, a hardwood floor or something. Um, but that's, that's kind of the norm. Yeah, now, of course a- it's, it's mats, the the blue and red puzzle mats are the norm. I think nowadays, but if you have really thick ones, I think they're okay. But if you have like the, the puzzle, like easily taken apart, easily broken down type deal. It's just, eh, it might not be great. I have I have puzzle mats and they're not amazing. Um, I'm thankful for them, but um, I wish that I had. Um, I wish I had better mats, but I mean, whatever. Well, they at least you're not. What I do. They just, but they're they're meant to be static. They're not meant to be taken up and put down and stuff like that. Right. True. True. Yeah. There's the places I've worked where it's like they constantly have to move around the mats and stuff like that, and they're just old worn out when i lived in uh i guess i can say this now when i lived in yodon the karate guys had like the really worn because all their training gear was just old and sure, there wasn't any sure. but it was just like like these mats were probably from the 80s <laughs> yeah so, so yeah it's not that they were bad it's just that they had to put them because we were working in a uh, community center and they had to put them out there because like um they were doing martial arts and yeah i mean smart enough but it actually made the floor less more slippery it made it harder to fall down it made it easier to fall down yeah so they mass move. yeah yeah so and I, and I mean they break down i mean what are you gonna do even mine i've had them for i think five years now uh, the current set that i have i'm already starting to have to replace them and move them around because they're they're already starting to break down yeah that's why I'm happy I uh, don't don't have school right now. I mean, I'm, so I I may in the future just get rid of them and be like, all right, everybody, we're just gonna be on concrete, but we'll see. Get the get the the really moldy, crappy carpet over the concrete just to give because put something there, and that way <laughs> no one's happy. So yeah, everyone just gets rug burns on their feet all day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the best way. Yeah, but uh. One thing you brought up to me and I thought felt was um, really relevant to me, particularly because this is my day job. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the thing that I love to do is the constant analogy that's been made between what I do professionally and, you know, this. And it's the mm-hmm. two things I've only ever done from a train from a teaching perspective. Yeah. And you brought up the idea of, of linguistics and martial arts having something in common now i've kind Mm -hmm. of avoided this topic to a degree sure and i'll get into why that is later (laughs) Um, but i want but you were talking about something i I feel free to to go wherever you want to go with this um but you were talking about something a little earlier about kind of the relation between linguistics and martial arts and i'm just gonna let you take it away and kind of go, go lead us down this path okay sir yeah so this was brought up to me a few weeks ago well maybe a little bit more than a few weeks ago but i had a uh, someone a good friend 
who told me he was having a conversation with somebody and they were talking about forms and uh, let's say the applications of these forms, right? And the the one um, guy basically said that if you do the forms enough, the applications will become known to you. And I thought this was very interesting because, and and I and then I used language as an example. And so I I basically said, okay, I'm going to teach you a couple of phrases in Italian, right? So we we went through a couple of phrases, you know, uh, ciao a tutti, uh, come va, you know, we did we did it just a couple, you know, a couple things in Italian, and I made him repeat. And then we did it over and over again. I made him repeat it over and over and over again. And then uh, after he sounded good, right? He used the right inflection, right? Oh, ciao a tutti, huh? come va, right? He sounded really good. And then I said, okay, now, what does that mean? And he, he had no clue what it meant because I didn't tell him what it meant. All I did was teach him how to say it. And so I thought this was very interesting in that, you know, you did the form over and over and over again. You perfected it. It was easy. You perfected this form. Why don't you know what you're saying? Because you don't know what the words mean. You have to learn what the words mean first, and then you can decipher what the sentence might mean. Uh, so so then it, it got me into thinking about martial arts in general. We we basically do this. We we learn um, a sentence or a paragraph, and we practice it over and over and over and over again. And then we'll learn like simple responses. So somebody will ask, you know, "Come uh, va?" And so you you respond with "Bene, e tu?" Or you respond with uh, "Oh, sei stanco." Or you respond with molto bene, or you respond with uh, bellissimo, or whatever, right? There's there's different ways of responding to this one question, and I felt that this was very similar to, you know, one step sparring, right? Where somebody mm -hmm. walks in and they punch you the same way every single time, and you defend it in different ways, and you memorize these ways, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can go to and 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 carry on a conversation with someone in Italian. And so I think that like sometimes, you know, Marshall in, in so many ways is like a language where like if you Marshall, have a, uh, a uh, uh oh. Uh oh. Try to define Marshall and someone's trying to stop you. <laughs> that was weird. That's that normally anyway. Um it's staying yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mark, let's let's just say, you know, uh, if, if I if I practice karate and somebody else practices, say, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, those are almost two different languages. And right. so we may not be able to carry on a conversation with each other or maybe they're not two different languages. Maybe they're two different dialects of the same language or something. So we're we're still going to struggle if we were to get together and fight quote unquote, right? Or just roll around or just try to do whatever. We're, we may not be able to have a conversation. And I think that in, in so many ways, it's because we really only learn phrases. We memorize phrases. We memorize responses to specific phrases, but we don't, we don't go a whole lot. Some, I mean, some people do, of course. There's live sparring and there's whatever. And there's MMA and there's all these different things that, that do allow for free conversation 
and uh, especially with natives of that language, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of a lot of martial arts schools, we don't do that. We just learn phrases and then we gain this, I don't want to say confidence, but we gain this confidence. I'll use that word. We gain this confidence that we can speak that language when in reality we we really can't. I don't well, I don't know if that makes any sense. That makes sense because and I'm, I'm, I speak to this as a language teacher. Yeah. Because it's, and then this makes the ask the question: What's a native speaker of martial arts as opposed to a foreign speaker or a someone who is not a native speaker of martial arts? That's a really it, good question. Because and I'll, I'll I'll tip my hat here a little because it's something you can see, it's something you can feel, but it's not necessarily something you can really well define. Mm-hmm. Because native speakers generally are good at speaking their language, good at communicating in their language, good at uh, just being able to use the language, but they're terrible at being able to explain it or yeah. or won't be able to tell you the difference between syntax and verbs and probably get things wrong from a grammatical from a gramma- grammatical and book perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. But they can just do it. Right. And so you see when, that in Marshall too, a whole lot too, right? Like good uh, fighters. Good, good people who, you know, you know that they can defend themselves. You know that they can, you know, destroy people. They could be the most horrible teachers in the world because they can't explain to you why they do it. Well, and then you, you get this issue of people who are book learning, so to speak. Right. People who are shadowing. Um, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's, that's a technique that I have a eh, slight issue with. Um, okay. I don't, I don't necessarily feel that works all the time. But from a language perspective, but I, shadowing from a karate perspective or from a martial arts perspective is somewhat necessary. Mm-hmm. Right. Go back to your Ipan Kumite or a one step sparring type deal. The idea of, because normally those are always someone's in a front stance and their left foot, they move forward with their right foot and they move mm-hmm. forward with the right punch. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As that's normally how people get taught how to speak. Yes. And I guess we're going to use, this analogy is speak the speaking part of the language would be the actual combat right the grammar when the syntax would be the forms mm-hmm. right? and mm-hmm. our verbs are essentially what bunkai or what the breakdown of those forms would be and then kind of more of the the free conversation is as you said the sparring mm-hmm. um to kind of give a visual not visual but like a kind of a more filled out version of what this analogy might be. Yeah. So it, it, in order to teach verbs, right, in order to be able to get people to go or do or say or speak, there's no state of verbs in martial arts. So there's nothing, there's no, you, you can't be, you can't be, you can't be grappling, right? Um, <laughs> you are grappling or you are not grappling. Yeah. Um, you are on the ground or not on the ground. So, you know, language nerds, a, a, a abide but i think <laughs> that the native speaker is also someone who is able to naturally just has that natural ability to a degree so the physical fitness of it comes into to play but also you get the other side of it where you get a lot of people who are really really good at the book stuff but mm-hmm. cannot make any of it come out or work or or right like when I when I was learning French in high school, I could if you if I was very good at the phonetics, 
So like I could sound really French, but I had no clue what I was saying, but I could fake it. I could fake it. If you were just listening to me talk, you would be like, wow, but I had no clue what I was saying. I was just like a good actor, right? Like I, I had, I, I, I'm good with accents. I think that's, you know, maybe my ADHD brain or whatever, right? I'm good at accents. And sometimes when I teach, I'll just go, I'll go into accents. But like, I don't know what I'm saying if I'm speaking French. I don't even remember any of it, really. <laughs> well, so what's interesting there is that, so from a language teacher, because I'm a language teacher, and what I've told mm-hmm. people is if, and this is true in Japan, and I'm, I'm kind of showing my hand a little bit, uh, where I've worked a lot of, there's been two languages, but the one language is called a dialect a lot. Mm-hmm. And so the island languages tend to get called dialects, and they're not really dialects. If you look at, look at a language, um, what needs to be a language is if they're not, if, if something is a dialect, that means you can take per, person A from from location A and person B from location B and put them in the same room. They should be able to be, yeah, 70 per, 70% of the time, they should be able to understand each other. Mm-hmm. That's being pretty generous. Yeah. Uh, but if you take person A and put them in person B and they can't, and they're speaking dialect, quote unquote dialect, and the person B is speaking quote unquote main language, and that person B can't understand them, and person A can't understand person B, that means you have different language. Gotcha. What that means is, if you learn two languages or have a kind of a mixed upbringing where you're maybe mom speaking one language, dad speaking another language, or maybe grandma speaking one language and speaking it to mom, and you're kind of passively learning it. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, folks, we're getting to karate in a minute. But I'm, I'm, I'm laying the track here a little. Yeah, yeah. If someone is able to pick up both very early, or two languages very early, then a third language is very easy. And so yeah. what I tend to tell people here, and what I've told people, is if these kids learn the language, their native language, not Japanese, but their native uh, local language, it's very mm-hmm. close. I mean, grammatically similar to right. to mainland Japanese, also different in a lot of ways, depending where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you will be able to get a third language in there, and you'll have more tones and more. Your mouth will be better exercised to learn something new. And yeah. Hands down, most of the time, the kids who can, who are really good with not just spoken, but also like intellectually, they can get, they can get their head around something new. You know, those kids who had more exposure to two, those two forms of speaking. Right. What does this have to do with martial arts? Well, very simply, going back to your Brazilian jiu-jitsu and karate thing, is and sometimes this doesn't always work out, but I mean, a lot of times it tends to. If you have somebody who's learned mar- like karate and mm-hmm. they walk into a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school, yeah, they're going to be like, ah, this is all new. But they've gone through the experience of learning karate. So right. it will feel like learning karate again. They right. might get frustrated or whatever, but, you know, they'll be learning. Mm-hmm. And the inverse is true as well. If someone's from Brazilian jiu-jitsu and goes over to karate, right, they'll, yeah. they'll be able to to go down the same neural pathway both physically and you know mentally yeah so i so i think that the language comparison there is sound sorry i just kind of got wind on for a while there (laughs) 
No, no, that's good. That's good. To the same point, like if you if you do some karate and you did some wrestling, both as a kid, when it comes to then learning a different art, it's much easier. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The art you do now, what you do now, is that what you did when you were a kid? Me? Yes, you. Yes, you. Dan. Yes, you. Yes. Yes. I started. I started doing kung fu when I was ten. Yeah. So. Is it the exact same tongue sudo you learned when you were 10 or were there, did you have to kind of change it up as you went along? Uh, no, I, I mean, I think that, oh God, well, this is a whole different story. Um, I mean, I, I switched organizations two times. So, okay, but, so um, you kind of had a, you had a gray matter for a little while and then going over to other things, you had to kind of shift yeah. gears. So, but even, like, even the one organization I was in for 20 years right. changed over time. So like I I don't think it's impossible. And then I've changed, right? So like I but even still like I mean we would come in and and oh no no it's different now. No no we're going to do it this way now. So like that that has happened, but I mean it hasn't been like a drastic change. But that's yeah, like yeah. kids saying oh shnikey, like holy shnikes, man. And it's like right? yeah, I mean like we said oh shnikes back in the 90s. You say that to kids <laughs> nowadays that think you're cursing. Right. So it's a kind of the same thing with the language where when people say, oh, no, this has been the martial arts since the, the late Middle Ages. Right. Yeah, sure. Because we're speaking the <laughs> same language they did 100 years ago. Right, exactly. Um, Good luck translating the old yeah. texts from even 150 years ago. Yeah. Holy shnikes. <laughs> did you you remember saying that phrase back back in the 90s? Cause... Ah, man. Uh, you know, shnikes, I don't think I ever really said shnikes. But like, you know, you heard remember, remember it, yeah, but you remember like people would go psych, like nobody does that anymore. You know, like stuff, all these little fad, you know, things that people would say. Absolutely. They, they don't exist anymore. And then how does it not, does that not translate over to what people physically do? Right. Like stretches right. and fads and stuff like that. People obviously picked up on. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that made its way into training. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I, I, I think the language in, in comparison is sound, but I am very hesitant to talk about analogy. We have to be wary with analogies because they're they're only good to a certain point right like you can make an analogy to make a point but beyond that point the analogy no longer suffices because they aren't the same thing right they're similar but they're not the same so there's content behind the analogy right yeah generally like we're talking mm -hmm. about martial arts is language right okay yeah. that, that kind of works we're talking about native speakers of stuff like that, but anyone can become a native speaker. Sure. Which is, I think, the the biggest difference. You can see the language in somebody when they're when they're trying. You can see an accent on someone when they're, when they're trying, right? Mm-hmm. But that comes out, and why language works works so well as a comparison, or why like music gets compared to martial arts as well, is because. Sure. They, you know, it's a very much of a skill-based thing. We don't really mm -hmm. think as lang language is a skill because we just use it to communicate all the time. Oh, it definitely so it becomes is. this like 
base thing that we have to master is you know bipedal humanoids but <laughs> with monkey brains monkey brains <laughs> yeah, no but so. it, but it is a skill it absolutely is a skill and, and music is the same like my son uh we we will be up at night at like you know one o'clock in the morning and we'll have amazing conversations about music because he that is what his speciality is he's going to college right now for music education and like he the way that he thinks about music is the way that i think about marshall and so like we'll talk about the similarities and such for for hours it's fantastic i think that there's a lot of really good cross comparisons like mm. forms if you know anything about music forms are essentially etudes if you do music etudes are simple not simple but specific sets of of uh, it's a specific piece of of music designed for practice it's not a song i think people like to think of forms as songs but they're actually more for etudes they're 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 specific pieces designed to practice and develop specific skills and that's what forms are forms are are a specific set of movements to practice to develop a specific set of skills and then you do a different form to to develop a different set of skills right there's a lot of really cool cross comparisons to to analyze there but the purpose of music and the context behind music is not the same as martial arts so right. there's a point where it it stops being the same and you have to you have to treat it as its own animal well, and and so, but the interesting differences there, and and I don't know if this has been your experience, but it has been mine, where people make these comparisons, make these grand analogies, and between music or language or whatever, and then they'll talk about like, they'll go on for hours about like, this or that and the other thing, but then they'll they'll show, uh, they'll be like, well, have you worked on a technique and a kata for hours and hours on end, and the end point of that lesson becomes, oh, and that's this technique. And they'll show the technique. And right. that's it. <laughs> yeah. Has that been your experience? Have you like worked on a form or done something like that? And then like, okay, mm -hmm. that's the technique. And then no practice, no, no comment on it. No, no, nothing, whatever. Right. Yeah, no, that I, I've, that is definitely an experience. It's either that or, it's it's just simply we need to work on this we need to work on this we need to work on this and that's that's going to make the judges go ooh like that's that's the point right like it's always it, it's never it's never for the actual technique you don't you, you know you're not actually practicing the technique to to get that skill you're practicing that technique to get that technique whatever that is right either it either looks the way that they want it to look like or it's used the way that they want it to be used but only in that context that they show you it's not about it's not about actually developing that skill whereas like if you're practicing music and you're practicing a specific bar that's a skill that gets used within the whole of your repertoire you'll be able to do it whenever you'll be able to play that that scale you'll be able to play that play that chord you'll be able to play that whenever out of nowhere because you have that skill and i think that that is a that's a difference yeah well like you would never have an instance where you're just playing that scale or you're just doing that like you're just doing that drill 
um, or for language or whatever, and then never, ever, ever try to do anything else with it. Right. I mean, I've been in yeah. language classes where that's where like where kids get so frustrated with languages mm-hmm. because they, mm-hmm. they they will oh god it's it's the uh, it's a passive voice all over again and for whatever <laughs> reason so many language books in english want to force people to learn the passive voice and i get it but at the same uh-huh. time it's like you're not giving them any context in which to use this yeah at all <laughs> i get that yeah because when do we use be... it uh-huh. when we... we get yelled at in college to not use it <laughs> right so yeah. why are we why are we recycling this problem that's so funny yeah, yeah. i that's that's fascinating because even in in when you even if you were to to do like like the transitional movement in a form where it would be like like because isn't passive voice and correct me if i'm wrong it's almost like backwards right yeah and so it's like saying you killed my father Right. That's active voice. Passive voice is someone in this room has killed uh, my has has murdered my father or my father has been murdered by somebody in this room. Yeah. It's like right? Yoda Yoda voice almost. Right. Yes. Sort of. Yeah. So <laughs> so, it, it, so in, in that regard, it's like there's there's reasons for it. Yeah. Explaining those reasons and how I've normally explained those reasons has been like, A, you don't want to talk about the person like the actual actor in the, in the sentence. So, yeah, the actual person doing anything with it is you don't want to talk about or b you're like tom brokoff and like you're you're making a news report or something right Um, right which means that there's some generational cultural level to it that's forcing that to come filter down yeah some people have attributed to forms right they've attributed forms as like relic of the past they aren't relevant for that and you know there's been pushback you know Pretty much since that criticism has been made, being like, no, 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 no. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Sure. And the creative, well-intentioned, but ultimately misled versions of that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, like if we think about the passive voice, like if I were to do like, you know, like a, like a, like a low block and a punch, but instead I'm going to, I'm going to practice it as you know, a, a punch and a low block. And let's just say like, you know, that, that is the passive voice of that, of that technique. Like, does that actually teach a low block and a punch? Some people will, will use it like, okay, we're, we're just going to mix it up a little bit and it's going to help the technique get better. But if you, if you punch somebody first, there's no need to block because you've already hit them. They're going that way. Like there's no right. blocking. The, 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 the punch is a response to parrying and neutralizing their attack. You now have an opening strike them right like that that makes sense why don't we practice why don't we practice that because that is the skill that is what we want to be developing right but if you if you do like a transitional movement right instead of doing an inside outside block and blocking here you block here and you and you strike them in the in the stomach here and you block here bang like that that's a different skill right it's not it's not the same skill as controlling with this arm it's now controlling with its arm and punching. It's the same technique, but it, it sort of uses that passive voice where you're trying to say, well, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna, to, I'm, I'm going to teach you how to do an inside outside block, but we're going to do it by doing something else. Thankfully, this is where the analogy somewhat breaks down yeah. because there aren't, you don't recede in technique, right? Mm-hmm. Normally yeah. technique is straightforward. 
Most yeah. people, anytime people try to teach that type of stuff, they're not, they're kind of overlapping it, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I normally don't like to get too technical on here, but I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say like I'm coming out right now and, and, and making a hot take. <laughs> Uh, there, there are in fact certain instances where people go way too far in terms of being like, I'm creative with my techniques and like, yeah, okay, let's let's get somebody not getting a, the best thing I think I ever learned was, and I'd learned this from weirdly enough, actually not, uh, well, the best thing I learned from people I've trained with over the years is get away from doing one step sparring where it's literally one person taking a step forward in a stance. Yeah. Like breaking that mold and mm-hmm. just letting one step sparring become free sparring to a degree. Sure. Sure. Where it's like, you never do the one step. Mm-hmm. The one step mm-hmm. sparring is the free sparring. Yeah. Though there's problems with that approach. That approach breaks the mold of what generally happens when you only have one step sparring where they only can focus on that one technique. They only know how to do that mm-hmm. from that person's right hand, or they only know how to do that in this certain way. They only know how to do that in that stance. Right. So oh, yeah, that's where ab- I think. Absolutely. That's where as a language teacher, I would completely disagree and say, you need to do one step sparring. But as a martial arts teacher, I would say, let's skip. Let's not do this part because this part is, 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 largely unnecessary it's not going to be how you move yeah so i don't i don't know if you would feel this necessarily the same way well i think that from from a progressive standpoint specifically in curriculum i think right. that there can be a point where you know let's say you're you're brand spanking new nobody's ever punched your face before you have no clue what to do let's let's teach you these basic things right somebody's going to step in and punch at your face we're going to teach you how to move to the side, or we're going to teach you how to block, we're going to teach you these things. But like my curriculum, there's only 15. Okay. After that, there's no more of that. Somebody's going to hit you and you better just do whatever you do and it, and it better work. And if it doesn't work, you get punched in the face or, you know, it, you know, you, it, it's going to fail in some way, shape. Or so like, you know, like there's, there's a progression to it. I have no problem teaching one steps to, you know, white, yellow, or, you know, like, Q level, right? We call them GUP in Korean, uh, uh, color belts, right? I have no problem teaching one steps to color belts, but I never teach just one steps, even to the white belts. Right. You know, like like this, this is some basic stuff, and and we're gonna test you on this, but also we're gonna grab you and we're gonna pull you around, and and I want you to be able to show me that you can move, that you can coordinate your body in a way, because that's that is incredibly important i would never just require one steps even to white belts and and that gets into the questions of movement and balance and like can people like figure that out and then yeah you've been teaching that incorrectly like just as a thing not the form just the forms but also just understanding balance and understanding your own body right yeah yeah that doesn't get there's no formula anybody really has for that you kind of have methods but it's not mm-hmm. really in curriculum so you can have a ton. I've seen this a lot where those type of things aren't broached for people. Those kind of methods aren't really broached for people. So they learn curriculum, but they've never hit a bag and they've never figured out their balance. They've never figured out their center. They've never figured out you know, right. any of that stuff. So 
that's why we have push hands. Push hands does, you know, does that incredibly in, in my, in my experience. Um, it teaches you, you know, if you use your hip in a certain way, if you get stuck and thrown backwards, that was not an efficient way to move your hip. Like it's, it's very easy to show that. So there, there are ways to do it. Um, I think that, uh, just not in one step sparring. Not even in I, not even in forms. Forms don't teach it, not explicitly, you, because you're moving in space. You're not moving with resistance against your against your kinetic chain. So you're not going to learn where your center should be. You're not going to learn how to how to move your center efficiently, um, just by doing forms. Right. Well, not not if somebody's not focusing on like a, a great example. I love to use is like Nanahachi, like. You once you're bent, you're always bent. Once mm-hmm. you're on that level, you're all you're always supposed to be on that level. Uh, I've you right. know, and people try to use that as a cudgel to to you know you have to figure <laughs> out your you have to you have to figure out your knees. You bend your goddamn knees, and it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. I mean that's funny. That's a cute. That's like a fun thing right. you do. Right. What everyone will remember that it's like it's like a military training training type deal, but like yeah, you're talking on a personal level, like it's it's not really going to teach him much. No, no, and that's why you know you have to have an instructor or somebody that's like, okay, I'm uh, do that technique, and I'm going to hit you, or I'm going to push you, or you're going to hit me, or you're going to push me, and I'm going to get resistance, and you either are going to fall off balance when you do this technique or not. Because that that technique is not designed to be done in a vacuum in in space. You know, it's designed to be done against somebody else. So a good teacher will go around and 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 push on you and throw you down and, and do that to you because that's necessary. Um, sometimes then they'll do it only after you've finished the technique, right? Yeah. Like you get into a technique and then they come over and they push you, and you're like, the technique's done. Yeah. I, I'm I'm no longer I'm no longer I should no longer be stuck in this position. Like the, the pushing me while I'm stuck in this position doesn't actually help unless you're, you know, in like a clinch sort of position and somebody needs to be moving you and you need to be stuck still. Like that's a different feeling. But that would be like I, th- I think that is a, a teaching tool that was brought by people who didn't like teaching. They like walking around and, and hitting you in the leg when you're when you're in a stance and going, oh, stronger, you know, like never helps that never, the, never people have you now use that. Like, who wants that experience? Who needs yeah. that experience? Like, that's horrible it, experience. But if I'm walking down the line and I go, OK, I'm going to kick you like we're practicing low blocks. OK, I'm going to kick you in the stomach. Block my foot. Really block my foot. That is a much better way of teaching that low block, because then you will learn how to do it. You won't learn how to do a low block if you come down to that low block and I come over and I hit your arm. Stupidest thing I, have, I, I did very early on as a teacher, I, but I think I'd still do it today, is uh, weird thing to say, right? Is <laughs> I would have um, students do punches in like Nihaji stance or like a horse stance or whatever. Yeah. And I'd be like, all right. And it'd be like their first day or whatever. I'm like, all right, hit my stomach. What? Yeah, hit my stomach. Uh, God. No, uh-huh. no, hit my stomach. No, hit my stomach. What are you doing? Right. Hit my stomach. And like, right. That kind of that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it, you got to punch. Yeah. Is, you got to actually have a punch. You have to yeah. know what it feels like to hit something. Yeah. The real reason for that is I didn't have any bags or anything. So it was like, all right, you know, <laughs> got to give me something the first day. Right. Um, 
No, I, I do that. I do that. You yeah. know, um, because I, I, I certainly believe that somebody, you know, they need to know what it feels like to hit another person and they need to know what it feels like to get hit by another person. And I tell students all the time, if you want to hit somebody hard, you better be okay with getting hit hard. Yeah. There has to be that balance. If you're not okay with me punching you in the face, then don't punch me in the face. But I'm going to punch you in the face, so you better punch me back, right? Like I I want this re- reciprocity. Recip Is that the right word? Reciprocity? That's right. Reciprocity would be correct. Re- reciprocal right. re- reciprocal relationship. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This this rapport. This, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's why, you know, we can find a couple more R words in there, but yeah, <laughs> later for you than it is for me, but I've had. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. But at the same time, if you have a brand new student, they've never hit anybody before and you have them in front of the whole class, hit me, no, hit me harder. What do you think you are? Hit me harder. That can be demeaning to the student and right. it may not actually help them hit you harder. It's probably going to make them not want to come back. So like you there's there's some good parts about that and some bad parts about that there's ways um, in which you can do it that are more welcoming and there's ways in which and especially if like you kind of do the same thing for new students every time <laughs> everyone will kind of be on the floor being like oh yeah that yeah um, yeah yeah and then like you know the the older students will go up to them after class and be like you did great we had we all had to do that at the same time like like that happens but uh like nobody I, makes I went, it the first leap not even <laughs> Usually when I have a, a brand new sword student, um, you know, because the most common way of holding a sword is like an axe. Right. And so the thumb, it's just like gripping, gripping a, a, a fist. The thumb is right. on the outside of the, the pointer finger or whatever. And this is the wrong way to hold a sword because it, it takes the, the range away from the weapon. So like I, I do this to all almost all of my first time students and I go. When I'm teaching them how to hold the sword, I put the sword on their shoulder and I hold it. I say, you see, I can hit you from here. This is very clear. You know, and I touch their shoulder. I said, this is very clear. But if I hold it the way that you are and I swing it and I swing it right in front of them, because the 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 angle change of that Kisaki is so drastic that you will miss them. And and I I, and there's and they're like, (gasps) oh. And I go, do not hold the sword this way because the purpose of a weapon is what? And they go, oh, I don't know. It's range. That's why we sit in bunkers now and press a button and the missile goes over there. Like the point of a weapon is range. If you're using a sword, use its range, you know? So like that's, you know, but I do that all the time. And people will always be like, you know, oh yeah, he does it. Yeah. (laughs) The, you know, the, guys the, are sitting in the Pentagon trying to figure out what the next thing to do <laughs> of launch the katana missile. <laughs> but sir, that'll that'll sir. I don't care. Launch the katana <laughs> missile. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but it's it's not the smartest thing to do, but I do it because it it helps to kind of teach that lesson. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think that there are. If you're talking about language and you're talking about martial in some sort of way, or you're talking about music and you're talking about martial in some sort of way, even when you're teaching it, there are, there are good ways to teach skill, and then there are ways to just teach memorization. And I think that that is the that is the biggest issue that I'm that I'm really kind of 
worried about or not not worried but concerned about in general because you have people that talk a lot about uh self-defense or combat sports or or whatever bunkai and you know this this word and and then they do these memorized patterns and then they think that they can use it in a live conversation and i just don't i don't think that that is a a a real thing i think that they will they will struggle i feel this is almost an issue of as old as time but it's more exasperated today Mm -hmm. by just how much is out there yeah and just kind of the the sterileness of how people think they can learn something as Mm -hmm. opposed to just how people have learned it before Mm -hmm. and yes there's ways of improving that but not the way you think I think that curriculum in general, uh, specifically martial curriculum, no matter what martial art you, you do, is it's often s- second priority right. to, to other things. And I think that no matter if you want, if you want to teach something to a lot of people, then you, you run that risk of not having that ability to create a native a a a well-spoken speaker right if that makes any sense like i mean like there are so many people out there who teach let's say you know uh, applications of forms and they say well we don't like we don't like one-step sparring we don't like these choreographed uh responses so we're going to we're going to we're going to do applications of these swarms real but when you watch them all they're really doing is creating different and, choreographed movements right. and all of the all of their students or people who watch them on YouTube or wherever they wherever they get you know their input from this this person who's putting out these applications they all look like them because right. that's the that's the only way that they can learn that is to copy and mimic because the the choreographed movements are just memorized. Now Dan, are you saying people need a live teacher and a live and not a videoed uh I don't mind video as a as a supplement, but like even right. like if I I teach people via Zoom, but I'm able to like pick in 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 you know, and move them and, and, you know, make sure that they, you know, I'll put them into a position to go, yeah, push here. Does that, you know, you feel like that doesn't work. Okay. I just turn the hip a little bit. Like there are ways that you can position. Right. But, um, but I see people who are in live positions or even in the same room as some of these teachers Mm. and all that, they just look just like them because all they do is copy the, the drills that the person is making you memorize yeah. because this is the applications of the forms. So we're going to memorize these and they're all choreographed. This person is going to punch me like this. This person is going to do this. This person is going to do this. And then, and that, you know, so like it, even though that, that person may say, I don't want to create copies of me, but they do. You're ultimately going to have to deal, deal with that. But then like eventually people are going to have to learn to speak on their own, which is, it's just a bit of a different problem. So, like, but, from a linguistic standpoint, how, how do you get from there to there? How do you get from that person who who's learning how to speak with a teacher 
and then they become a speaker. Where, where's that gap? How do you bridge that gap? Well, from a from my perspective, it is it is very much like what are they? Where are they going to use it? Where are they going to use it? Use it in? Um, from mm-hmm. the martial martial arts perspective, it's like all right, that person doesn't pursue anything else in martial arts, and they just stay in that place. Yeah, they're not going to really. They're going to go as far as that place is going to be able to take them. Mm-hmm. If they try to pursue something outside their own, eventually it's going to end up different. Yeah. If they start talking to other people, they start doing other martial arts, they start going to other things, they start pursuing other interests, right? Mm-hmm. Which most people do, that's going to end up making that look different. You're going to end up with a speaker. Right. Of something. Right. It, might, it won't be what necessarily that is or they might cling to that and say this is how it is because you get language learners who cling to kind of parts of lessons they've learned or parts of words that they've learned i do this all the time where it's like this is what i know from this rather than trying to update myself which is a bad thing from a language from a language learner's perspective as opposed to a language teacher's perspective but (laughs) you gotta get you go with what you're comfortable with Right. Yeah. So if you're comfortable yeah. with what you've copied from that teacher, right, you're kind of going to uh-huh. back up, always going to back up into that. Yeah. Just, unless you completely rewrite the book on your with yourself, which people do. So sure. people change it over time, a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because like, let's say let's say you do karate for 10 years and then you go and become uh, a security guard or you go and become um, a bouncer at some club. And then you end up actually using these things in a real life situation. I usually I usually hear these sorts of people saying, Oh yeah, I use this. But if you were to if you were to like ask them to show you some things the way that they did it in that bar, it's not the same. They used it. So like there's that gap where somebody is, is learning the thing and then they use the thing. There's a gap there. And that thing, I think, is immersion. Yeah. Experience. Experience. Yeah. 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 And I think that's uh, how do you then how, how do you how do you put that in a in a karate curriculum? <laughs> I don't know if you can. Can you? I I feel that's a that's a possible separate conversation. That is a that is a great. Mm, yeah, we need to do this again. No. Are you saying? <laughs> Dan, is this saying you're going to become a regular guest? Let's do it. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Because I know uh, I don't want to cut too much into the time because I know it's getting down late for you and you got the the kitten caboodle on the farm. So one question I'm going to ask you before we get out, what are are your training plans for the next week or so? Uh, Next week or so, uh, I am going to be focusing on primarily internal work. My with my daughter back into school and me having to wake up earlier now, um, I need some, some, uh, mental discipline to be able to go to sleep on time and wake up on time. I'm also go. going to try, cause I was listening to a podcast, uh, about, uh, sleep and the neurology behind sleep. And one thing that he talked about was, uh, setting your, your clock. And the best way of setting your clock is actually to wake up within an hour or two of sunrise and actually go outside and get like five, 10 minutes of sunlight to actually hit your retinas. 
because you're you have like these I forget what they're called. You have these cells in your retina that actually decide when later to create melatonin. So like. Uh, so I'm trying it. He says that, you know, one thing that he says, it might take like two or three days or whatever, but it, it will it should kick in really well. So like I'm I'm going to try because I got to wake up at like 7 a.m. now. I'm going to try for the next week. I'm going to give it a week and I'm going to try to see if it will make me want to go to sleep earlier. Because like I said, I mean, like I am a night person. I will go to sleep at 2 a.m. because I'm just awake. Uh, so we'll right. we'll see we'll see if it works that's going to be part of my uh part of my training schedule <laughs> biorhythm is a tough thing i, I get that I'm, yeah. I'm in the middle of a move so my like my body was just like a dr- like a, like like exhaustion adrenaline till 3 a.m mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. 7 then like 7 a.m or yeah 3 a.m and 7 a.m adrenaline hit like I, like my eyes open, I saw a little bit of light. I'm like, okay, you're up. Go, 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 go. You have no energy to do anything, but you got to get everything done. Yeah. Uh, so. I feel you. That's that. But cool. Well, Dan, right, brother. Thank you so much for for joining us. Thank Hope you. we get to do this again sooner than later. It's great and great being having you on the pro- podcast proper, rather than a. Some some weird streaming thing that we're somehow able to do, but sometimes not. Uh, <laughs> no, just do what we know. Yeah, cool. yeah. No, well, thank you, thank you. It's an honor. I'm I'm excited, and uh, I can't wait to be on again. Cool. All right, my friend. Thank you so oh. much, and everyone, don't forget to keep training. Peace.
it's okay. I was I panicked there for a second. I was like, oh my god, did the recording not go? <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, all right. Now you're good. Um, you got you yeah. got little ones. Yeah, you yeah. Got a loving family and a community and all that good stuff. I'm like, I'm a man with a, a man with a bottle. Uh, 